Greetings, Meltopians. If you've become enthralled by the dark wastes and nightscapes of Meltopia, and want to further explore its Stygian depths, consider joining our Patreon. For $2 a month, you could become a Meltopian and gain access to the darkest artworks, as well as written mythos pieces contained in the Melgrim, entries in Meltopia's own dark encyclopedia, and the legendary Corpus Diabolos, an elite publication containing essays written by the most esteemed dark scholars. For $5 a month, become a feared mailsayer and gain early access to episodes on the Meltopia and Sleepwake Cycle podcasts, and listen to new episodes of our audio series, Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book. And for $10 a month, join the ranks of the Melsapien, where you can listen to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, October's Children, as well as gain access to found recordings discovered throughout the world in The Weird Tapes. But if you're not ready to delve into the pitch just yet, and would rather swim the shallows to test the blackened waters, you can explore our public page which contains our entire backlog of Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book, episodes from the Meltopia podcast, which all together number over a hundred episodes. So, whether you want to become a full denizen of the dark, or simply peruse the public archives, come visit us at patreon.com forward slash Meltopia. That's M-A-E-L- T-O-P-I-A. Now, without further ado, enjoy the show. The sleeping man's apartment came equipped with a fire escape. After squeezing myself carefully through a large window, I paused to survey the night air and the dank alley below. I pondered my chances of getting out of the city alive, or more accurately, awake. My eyelids had already gathered more weight than was normal, and sleep seemed more and more like the only solution to my diminishing endurance. Yet sleep was the very den of monsters that had stolen New Victoria from the waking world in the first place, and I was certain such creatures would make for poor hosts should I decide to pay them a visit. A twin fire escape clung to the building across the alley. The distance was outside my comfort zone, but not my ability. A mighty leap saw me to the other side, my silence embracing the impact and keeping my presence from the city's many predators. I climbed the fire escape to the roof, ever aware of things that might be looking down at me from the black gulfs of the carrion sky, eager to catch me off my guard. 
yet I also felt my family's vigilance surrounding me like smoke. They were just as eager to catch whatever thing might mistake me for prey and render it subject to their gleaming smiles and thunderous laughter. When I arrived at the top of the building, I caught sight of a glassed-in penthouse replete with a spacious veranda. Interestingly, a large telescope sat affixed to the outermost rim of the balcony. The worlds that wheeled overhead were pale alternatives to the sights I hoped to glimpse by pointing the wonderful device downward. So I aimed my magnified gaze at the concrete forest around me. With any luck, lit windows might grant me further insight into the delightful nightmares that pretended to be an abandoned city. A lingering curiosity concerning the strange quartet of women caused me to turn the glass towards the east end of the town, the direction from which they had most likely come. Their original number had dwindled, my father having seen personally to the subtraction, but I was curious to know the fate of the remaining three. After some effort, and as if responding to my unspoken wish, I caught sight of something moving through the alleyways of the hospital I had previously visited. It was one of the women. She was strapped to a hospital gurney that was being conducted down a poorly lit corridor. The gurney was propelled by a power largely imperceptible, and I could only discern some kind of presence by the effects it exercised upon the shadows it touched. The darkness of the hallway seemed to adhere to the invisible thing, clinging to it like tar and supplying it with only a minimal suggestion of shape and size. The outlining shadows described a thing of nonsensical construction, an organism that begrudged nothing to the traditional symmetries of Earth and biology, and partook its shape solely from the unprincipled reasoning of chaos. The unorthodox creature continued to push the gurney down the hallway, occasionally wiping the dripping shadows from the amorphous swelling that rose high and hideous from her abdomen. From behind her stretched flesh, the dim outline of the germinating nightmare was scarcely visible as a mass of shifting darkness, twisting and flipping as if it were trying to put itself together, one inhuman limb at a time. Suddenly, the head of the thing obtained a terrible definition as it pressed hard against its cage of flesh. It seemed to turn its attention towards the captured woman, leering into her panicked face. The unborn creature projected its hungry glare beyond its gilding of human skin, laying a cold glow across the dull and sightless eyes of its mother, eyes that had long since lost their connection to the world beyond and behind them. The woman was finally delivered into a large room lit only by a small collection of tapered candles. After placing the woman in the middle of the room, her monstrous guide waddled back down the hallway by which it came, leaving wet shadows in its tracks. The woman struggled against the bonds that secured her head, arms, and feet to the gurney. However, after careful observation, I realized that her movements were not her own, but rather the actions of the thing within her. Her body, nothing more than a massive gestational sack, began to rapidly swell beyond the scope of the gurney. Her bulging flesh spilling to the floor and rolling across the dirty tile like tides of thick mud. All the while, the woman's facial expression never changed. Her mind and body had become nothing but the debris of madness. Just a broken doll splayed out in the aftermath of a tornado. The thing that had once been a woman began to burst apart from the inside. 
releasing a septic spray of inhuman fluids that drowned all the candles in the room save one. By the glow of that lone flame, the infant nightmare stripped off its mother like wet clothing, dropping what was left of her in a steaming heap of molten flesh. The creature waved its dainty and human hand before its eyes, inspecting the solidity of its new world, perhaps wondering if its hand might turn to smoke, or if the air would transmute suddenly into a cold sound that only the dead could hear. Evidently quite satisfied with its new accommodations, it smiled with a thousand tiny teeth and walked off into the darkness of the outer hallway, disappearing like a secret floating into silence. Mirror brides, breeders of foulness, nightmare of those women. Men like you, why, you're our beasts of burden, naturally. The voice came from behind me. I whipped around to find a man floating above the floor, a ridiculous stovepipe hat on his head, his eyes the strangest I'd ever seen. Where conventional eyes should have been, there was only a thin covering of flesh. Yet it was behind that seal of skin where glowed a bright set of alien blue eyes, bright enough to backlight the tiny network of veins and other nuances of intervening tissue. The radiant blue of his eyes behind flesh was the color of sleep, and it washed over me like a gentle water, sweeping me out to strange seas. I knew I had to escape the glow of the creature's billowing eyes. They possessed a depth far deeper and more dangerous than the distance from the balcony to the ground so I jumped from the building. I tumbled far longer than necessary to complete my descent, and the further I plummeted, the lighter my body fell. By the time I reached the streets below, I was nearly weightless. When my feet finally touched the ground, I looked up at the city. It had changed considerably. It was the dread face of New Victoria I had witnessed only once before. I suddenly realized my mistake. I hadn't actually fallen from the building, but had suffered a far worse fate. I had fallen asleep. After I awoke into New Victoria on the other side of sleep, for the second time in my life, I confirmed everything I had only suspected from my first visit. Fear is the temperature at which dread solidifies, and conversely the point where stolid reality dissolves. A scream can become the glass of a window, frozen into place like a wicked memory, conducting blood-dimmed light through its invisible body. Sleep is a place where worlds spin top the heads of pins, and oceans gather into nutshells. And New Victoria is only the most visible part of the nightmare that prowls the unclean depths of humanity's collective unconscious. The nightmare beneath nightmare was alive and surging with the unfettered imagination of wicked children, a primal grotesquerie that informed every feature and facet of every edifice. There, the Goblin Knight, a darker and more enduring incarnation than that of the waking world, lives without cycle, without light or limit. It provides the wakeless city with its sky, its oceans, and its shadows. I entered a dark and shimmering building composed entirely of a kind of blackest coal, seeking out a momentary refuge from the dizzying sights. The instant I set foot beyond the threshold, surging shadows conducted me down a narrow arterial corridor and into a colossal chamber. The room was filled with the tallest and most worm-eaten bookcases I'd ever seen, 
some of them even seeming to rise beyond a silhouette that spread wide and empty across the ceiling. With a curiosity so strong I worried it would give off light or sound, I took up one of the tomes recessed into the rotting wood. It was a dream journal, as were all the books I somehow knew. And in some of the most handsome penmanship I'd ever seen, it charted a young girl's nightly journeys into a very peculiar nightmare. She dreamed of a giant machine called the Spirit Grinder, a contraption that could distill, via a protracted and quite noisy process, the color of a person's soul. For reasons she could never deduce, she was obliged to remove the tied-up and squirming bodies of persons, always someone she knew or ended up knowing, that emerged from a long rusty chute and passed them along the strange machine. Once the soul's color had been rendered, she would then use it to paint, wielding a small and delicate brush, the irises of the countless moist eyeballs that passed in front of her via a shabby conveyor belt. All of this took place in a crumbling barn residing somewhere in the middle of a vast and dark forest. I was about to withdraw another journal from the shelf when I heard footsteps. Beyond the fact that they came from somewhere below me, I was unable to discern their more specific trajectory, yet they clearly seemed to be drawing closer. I slipped through an open window that led back onto the street, and ascended a rickety expanse of stairs that wrapped around the outside of a gigantic apartment complex that seemed to be breathing. I opened the door at the top of the stairs and entered with little hesitation, as the darkness initially seemed quite welcoming. I found myself in a bedroom with a massive four-poster bed slightly visible behind a flowing drape of glossy webs. The footsteps were getting louder, now emanating from under the huge bed itself. Suddenly I remembered, I needed to wake up. I was so immersed in the darkling beauty of the city, not to mention the memory-dimming fog of dream, that I forgot the danger I was in. Something was coming for me, to remove me and fill my sleeping body with living terror. I searched for a door out of the room but found nothing, including the door through which I had entered. I was trapped. The footsteps acquired company as they moved along. I could hear the dim hint of laughter just beneath them. Yet most important to me were the sounds I couldn't hear. The sweet laughter of my sisters and the terrible rage of my father. My family was gone. I was alone. The darkness surrounding me was no ally. It only intensified to contrast me against itself, forcing me to stand out as a target to whatever was ascending the stairs beneath the bed. However, I sensed weakness in the trailing shadows that limped along with the stronger packs of darkness as they turned from my gaze in fright whenever I looked upon them. With supreme effort, I seized these stragglers with hooked thoughts and glaring eyes. I wrapped them tightly around my fists and poured them across my body until they soaked into my blood, conjuring depthless voids from what used to be my eyes. I ripped the alien silence from its hiding places, bending and breaking its body across my will, and when nothing of it remained save for its loyalty to me, I draped its carcass over myself, until I was every inch the nightmare that was coming for me. Wanting to deny my stalker the benefit of a dramatic entrance, I seized the ghastly bed and sent it crashing across the milling shadows that attempted to highlight me. Beneath the bed lay a trap door, leaking the cold air of death. 
Again, I would spare the nightmare creature none of its props and fetishes, so I tore the door from the floor and sent it to join the ruins of the demonic bed. The murk of cold and death rose from the gaping hole I had created, attempting to engulf me. Within moments, my killing thoughts crushed them of their ambitions, and their corpses joined the dead silence that dripped from my shadow-haunted body. I stood at the edge of the hole, smiling as I spoke into the darkness. Soon I will wear your flowing skin, my dreadful friend, and I will smile from the dark hollows that once held your face. The footsteps were close now. I could hear only silence where once there was laughter. Then a voice the size of the room exploded through the hole, sending me flying backwards into the crowds of hungry shadows. Oh, what bravado! What teeth! What spirit! I shall fill you with visions so fast and foul you'll weep fire. But first, I think your soul will travel with me, under all the beds in the world, through every closet, and down where the whispers crawl upon you like spiders. Where the darkness tastes you with a thousand terrible tongues. I must get you to that place where it sleeps within sleep, that old dream eater, and pump in your fears for the eating. When the thunderous words ceased, a great shape rose from the hole in the floor. The thing that appeared before me was outrageous with its darkly exaggerated proportions of a doll, like some toy left in the crib of an infant devil to keep it happy and contented. It smiled at me with so much sweetness, my mouth filled with the taste of sugar. Though difficult, I managed to suppress my inconvenient impulse to laugh. I think I will miss your whimsical smile the most, dear creature. I will think of it from time to time, long after you're dead. <laughs>